You know, there's a moment when your eyes fill up with tears. There's a moment just before the tears begin to fall that your body somehow absorbs them. That moment just before we cry, you know that moment. Earlier I was sitting and, and singing and worshiping, and I heard a congregation say, come awake. And I thought about your stories. And I thought about how some of you have been awoken by the Holy Spirit who inhabits our praise. I thought about some of you who haven't yet, but you will. You will hear the voice of our good Lord. And my ears filled with tears just to that point where they didn't fall down my face. A couple of weeks ago, I preached at a church here in the Triangle. And, and afterwards, I was visiting with a couple and the couple had been in the triangle for a year, and they were telling me about uh, how much they love the triangle, how much they love their jobs. And in this conversation, this quick five minutes, there came a point where the wife's eyes began to fill up with tears just to that brink. And she started talking about how her kids had been sick a lot. How the new neighborhood wasn't exactly what she wanted it to be. She couldn't get to the park to meet other people. And she started talking about the difficulty and the yearning for friendship. You know, as we enter into the story of the Bible, what we realize is that our lives are not simply events. But they're stories being written. A story of friendship with God first that he might be so kind to call us into friendship with himself. A story of Christian community, gospel friendship with one another, this deep need that we have. And as we look in 1 Samuel 18, 19, and 20 this morning, what we will see is a little glimpse of the beautiful substance of gospel friendship. Our text for today is a story about a king named King Saul. King Saul came into power. King Saul did a couple of good things, like many politicians do. But then the arrogance of his position, the anxiety of all of the pressure, began to get to him. And King Saul, instead of relying on the God who made him, began to rely on himself. And thus a downward spiral in his life began of bad decisions, of difficulty in relationships, of poor leadership. At the same time that this is happening, you have got David, a young boy. This is the David who killed Goliath. This is the David who played the harp. This is the David who was handsome and ruddy, the Bible says. He's working in the court of the king, and so you've got a king who doesn't have it together, who's insecure about his leadership, and on the other side, you've got a young boy who's growing and strong and mighty, and that's where we pick up our story today. I think it's your custom that you stand as we read God's word, so would you stand with me as I read 1 Samuel chapter 18, and stick with me as I read the first 16 verses. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was knit to the soul of David. 
And Jonathan loved him as his own soul, and Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul sent him over the men of war. This was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another and celebrated. Listen to this. Saul has struck down thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. And he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from the presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Let's pray. Lord, we need you because we are united with you, and only in that relationship can we hear from you. And so speak, Father, your children are listening. Amen. You may be seated. I have a, a Citibank double cash credit card. Now, before you get up and leave, this sermon is not about credit. Okay, so have no fear. But I have this credit card. I applied for this credit card. They looked at my salary, our household income. I got accepted for this credit card with a small credit limit. I got a long document in the mail that I had to sign. It was an, a, an agreement that I have with this bank. And, and there's some real benefits to me signing my name and using this credit card. I get 2% cash back on all my purchases. So as long as I pay my bill on time, that adds up. I get protection if somebody, doesn't, uh, if somebody uses my card without permission. My card's been stolen three times. It got used at a White Castle in Detroit, Michigan. Two places I've never been. White Castle and Detroit, Michigan. I'm protected from those charges. It comes with travel benefits to their benefits to having this agreement, but there are also consequences that are listed in this agreement. If I don't pay my bill, guess what I get charged? Interest. 
If I don't pay my bill, the benefits go away. If I don't pay my bill, then my credit begins to get worse and worse. I've made an agreement with the credit card company. And we have agreed to keep our parts of it. This is what a covenant is. Say the word covenant. Do you know why we use words like covenant? These big theological words that maybe you would be embarrassed if you couldn't define. We use those words because the Bible uses those words. And so putting those words on our lips, it it makes us remember them. And God is patient with us as we learn his word. This is what a covenant is. I've made a covenant with the credit card company. We're in a relationship that has certain terms to it. That's what happens in this story. David and Jonathan, the son of the king Jonathan, they make a covenant with one another, a covenant of friendship. And we're going to see that the friendship they have is actually the friendship that we all really want. Just like that lady I talked to two weeks ago, whose eyes filled up. It's a beautiful story of friendship. The first thing we see in this story, in the first five verses, if you want to flip around in the Pew Bible, it's on page 155, I think. The first thing we see is that friendship means seeing as God sees. That sounds very simple, doesn't it? But if we're honest with ourselves, it's really, really difficult. David and Jonathan, these two boys in some way were a lot alike. They had uh, similar interests, similar backgrounds. That's true of us too, isn't it? We might find out that we both like jazz music. Or that we both think that the bass player up here is incredible. And start a long conversation about that. Friends share experiences, not always. But that's one reason we connect with people. Have you ever met a person that you immediately connected with? Shared experiences, shared ideas, you challenged one another. That's David and Jonathan. These guys would have cut through all the small talk. They would have probably understood a lot about each other when they first met. You see, Jonathan, in this story of David and Jonathan's dad, Saul, Jonathan has seen all of this unpacked. Jonathan has seen who David really is. Jonathan saw his father come to power, the king. He saw his father gradually begin to go crazy and arrogant and anxious. He saw his father be set aside, lose the anointing of God as king. He saw his father be a coward before Goliath. And a young boy knock him out. With three stones. He saw David enter into the king's service and play the harp to help his father. He saw David's name become greater in the nation, as the women saying in our text. He saw David become a great leader of the nation without even really trying. But more than anything, more than anything, Jonathan saw David. As someone who had the anointing of God. Jonathan had a better view than anyone at the difference between the king and the young little Hebrew boy. He saw who he was in his heart. 
He saw that David was a man after God's own heart, and Saul wasn't. Friends, see us for who we are, for our brokenness and all, but they see Jesus working in us. When we look at each other as Christians, we should see sinners who have been made saints. Amen? We should expect to see a brokenness that is being redeemed, even in our worst moments. The more we get to know each other, we should expect that we will begin to see more of the failure in one another. You want gospel friendship? Be prepared to see the junk in the lives of others, that it might be met with the beauty of the gospel. If you just want to have a nice tea party in the afternoon where you dress up pretty and make small talk, avoid it at all costs. But what we see with David and Jonathan is that they knew each other. They knew each other's stories. If you aren't seeing more of the sin, the struggles, the failure, and the brokenness in your close friend's life, then you really aren't growing deeper as friends. I spent far too many years of my life holding grudges and thinking it had to be my way or the highway. Friends came and friends left. It was when I began to see my failure, my brokenness, my need for Christ, and seeing others' failure, others' brokenness, and others' need for Christ that I began to find friendships of substance. What happens when we see what God sees? For Jonathan and David, the scriptures say that their souls became knit together. Have you ever held a quality blanket? made by some women who've been knitting and and making blankets and quilting for years and years and years. There's something special about it. It's not this mass-produced piece of, uh, of, of cloth. It's woven together tightly. It'll last for years and years and years. When we see that each person God puts in our lives as friends has a calling on their life from their Creator, We see that each person uh, God puts in our lives is beautiful but broken. We begin to see how similar we are. Our souls knit together with friends, not simply because we like playing video games or going to the same restaurants in Durham. Our souls knit together because we see Jesus working in our brokenness more and more. And friends, this requires the gospel. This requires the good news of Jesus that forgives our sin and those who will sin against us that we call friends. Here's what happens in this story. Over the next couple of chapters, this relationship between uh, Saul and David, the king and the young boy, it, it gets even worse. People begin to talk more and more how great David is. Not just once, does King Saul try to kill David, but multiple times. Yet David remains faithful in the service of Saul. David sees all this great success, and then we wind up in chapter 19. And what we see in chapter 19 is that friendship, this friendship between David and Jonathan that points to a greater friendship between us and God, this friendship, it it means telling the truth. Seems so simple, doesn't it? Seeing as God sees, 
telling the truth. Surely you learned this in kindergarten. Yet what's our issue with telling the truth? Let me give some examples. Some of you will avoid telling the truth because I don't want to hurt their feelings. You will substitute truth for lie because that's the difference. There's really not an in-between because you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. You will, you will hold on to the truth. You will not tell the truth because ah, that's not my deal. I'm not going to mess with that. Because you know if you enter into that, it will take your time. It will take your money. It will take your effort. What's our issue with telling the truth? You know, I think there are two big ways that we don't uh, tell the truth in life. One of them is, is lies of convenience. You know, convenience store is meant for you to just drop in real quick, get what you need, and leave. And we tell lies the same way so that we can spend less time on things that we don't want to. We tell little lies every day to make ourselves look better, to not hurt others' feelings. Hey, why didn't you text me about lunch? I thought we were going to hang out this week. Oh, I thought my wife was going to text you. No, you didn't. You had other stuff more important than spending time with that person. And you can't man or woman up to it. Lies of convenience. Let me not pick on you. Let me pick on me. I'm a minister. Lord, help me. About a year ago, I did a wedding for a couple. Beautiful young couple. Beautiful wedding. I had the honor. And let me tell you, I thought I was something when I signed their marriage certificate. You see, ministers can be arrogant too. Not your ministers, but ministers like me, right? I signed the wedding certificate. I showed it to them. You're married now because of my signature. Put it in an envelope, threw it in the back of my car, drove home. A week later, I get a phone call from my buddy Nathan who says, hey man, we're trying to change some bank account stuff and the clerk of court in this particular county says that they didn't get a marriage license. You know what I said? Oh, man, I sent it. As I'm saying these words out of my mouth, here's what I'm doing. I'm running around my house getting my keys, putting on a shirt, because we don't wear shirts in Wilmington because of the coast. Putting on my hat, I'm getting my keys, I'm running to the car, I'm in my car driving to the post office. To mail something that I just told him I sent. And guess what else I'm doing? I'm giving him advice about how to track it down. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, maybe you just need to wait till Monday. You know, maybe, maybe the person that's, in, that's normally in there is on vacation. It's an intern or something. I'm just building up these little lies of convenience. Why? It doesn't change the, circum it doesn't change the circumstances of what's happened. No, it makes me look better. But the Lord doesn't work that way. And so the next day, Nathan and Rachel came to my house. And right in front of my house, the first thing I said is, hey, guys, I'm a liar. And I'm really sorry. And here's what happened, and here's what I did, and here's how I continued to lie. And they just burst into laughter because they saw the absurdity of these little bitty lies of convenience. But we all do it. How about lies of silence? Maybe one of your friends or, or family members is doing something you know is wrong. Maybe you can see that they're involved in something that will hurt them and others. 
something that's so clearly part of God's uh, plan for them or not part of God's plan for them, yet you choose silence over truth. You think you're saving a friendship when you're actually missing the chance to go deeper with them. You think you're saving a friendship, but maybe you're letting them hurt someone else. Maybe you're letting them hurt themselves more. I'm not just talking about the random person in the grocery store. I'm talking about those we eat with, those we travel with, those we walk with, those we work out with. What does growing in truth look like? I think Jonathan's commitment to the friendship he has with David begins to show us. In chapter 19, verse 4, Jonathan appeals to his father, who is irate, who wants to kill David, and he says, let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you. He calls his father's attitude and pursuit of him what it is, sin. And he says, David hasn't sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you, for he took his life in his hands and he struck down the Philistine, Goliath, and the Lord worked great salvation for all of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? Here's what Jonathan does. He addresses the sin, he tells the truth, and he calls him to change. Let me say that again. He addresses the sin, he tells the truth, he calls him to change. If you want friendships, marriage, dating relationships, if you want work relationships to go deeper, if you want church relationships to grow deeper, you will grow in the gracious truth, the gracious honesty that God calls us to. Not just pointing out everybody's stuff and acting like you got it all together, but going to another broken sinner made a saint and showing them the truth. Friendship means telling the truth. And finally, friendship means sacrifice. At this point in the story, King Saul has failed to kill David maybe six times. There's this festival that's happening over in chapter 20. Those who are close to the king will sit at his table. Night one of the festival, guess who's not there? David. He's so fearful of his life. David's seat is empty. Night two of the festival, guess whose seat is empty? David. And so Jonathan and David have worked up this plan to really see if Saul really wants to kill David, even though he's tried to kill him six or seven times. They're giving him the benefit of the doubt. They work up this plan, and so while David hides in a field, Jonathan will tell his father, hey, I've given David permission to go away, to go see his family. Jonathan's dad, if King Saul gets mad and angry, will know that he wants to kill David. If, if he's like, oh, cool, no worries, then we know at this point that he's not mad, but, but in this story, Saul becomes irate when he hears this. Look in chapters, uh, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Here's what it says. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, his own son. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse, that's David, 
to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness. Listen to this. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Friendship means sacrifice. He not only sacrifices, in a sense, a a relational capital with his father, but think about who Jonathan is for a second. Jonathan's the prince. Who gets to be the king when the king dies? The prince. Jonathan should be king, yet he is protecting David, who will become king. He's willing to sacrifice not only his garments, like we read in those first five verses of chapter 18, not only his sword, not only his robe or belt, he's willing to give it up all for his friend. Because he sees the glory of God's good plan in taking something that seems so weak and making it so powerful and beautiful for God's glory. You see, sacrifice will produce a friendship that makes others not just better, but makes others people who are walking in the newness of life that God brings us. John 15 says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, Jesus, in the line of David, the true king of Israel, has made a covenant with us, a covenant of friendship, a covenant that we will break, that we will fall short of, and that we can never keep, but a covenant that he does. He's made a covenant of friendship with us. He sees as God sees. He doesn't just tell the truth. Our good God is the truth, and we are united to him, and we can experience the truth, and it is because of his sacrifice on the cross for our sins that we are in relationship with him. And the Bible tells us, don't bring your credit card. Don't bring your billfold. Don't bring any money, but come and buy. Because what I have for you is free and good and lasting. Lasting, Say covenant. Now go live in it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being our friend. Lord, we thank you more than anything in this world that you unite yourself with us and that we can't lose you or misplace you or be a bad enough friend where you will walk out on us, Lord. We glory in the fact from the strongest to the weakest in this room that you call us friends. It's in your name we pray. Amen.